Hi, I'm Mara Webster with In Creative Company, and today we're joined by the wonderful Connor Swindles to talk all about his latest series, SAS Rogue Heroes. Um, and one of the elements of, of research and character development that I wanted to start by asking you a little bit about is um, some of the video research and kind of character watching that you would do and watching videos of people like Oliver Reed and, and Peter O'Toole and how it wasn't just about building the aspects of the character, but so much of it with this character is also about the persona and the bravado that he brings. Um, and so how did that become a central part as well of, of trying to figure out who he was and trying to build a lot of that charisma and persona that was on the page? Um, I suppose I, I watched a lot of those guys because they were sort of rebels in their own element, uh, quite, you know, famously well-known hellraisers, as they were called. And I think that David Sterling would had a particular affinity to raising hell. Um, and believe it or not I'm pretty shy as a person and I think that I needed to I needed to gauge somewhere the kind of um I suppose entitlement is is a big part of it also and, and to kind of land that right and not to say that those guys had that I'm sure they did in, in whatever regards but you know that the, the main thing is just about um you know I, I also found those videos very funny there's some great videos of oliver reed out there that are hilarious um and peter at all and, and 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 all of them and i think there's a level of comedy to to david sterling there's a level of performance with it all um it kind of goes hand in hand with his uh insufferable levels of ambition um so i, I mean i got a major kick out of watching those videos but they also were quite insightful also and there's a huge element of, of who he is in really rejecting any sort of order and element of ceremony. And it feels like a lot of that stems from his upbringing and really trying to reject everything that that stood for and a lot of the constrictions that were probably around him in his world and particularly with his dad. And there's obviously so many mentions of his father having also served. And instead of him trying to follow and, and live up to that expectation, he almost just wants to go completely rogue and create this own version for himself. And so how helpful was it in diving into a lot of his upbringing, his childhood, his relationship with his parents um, in order to kind of find where a lot of that essence of rebellion stems for in him? I suppose he, he never really, and it says in the show, he, he never really grew up. I think he was kind of stunted um, as a child seeking validation and acceptance from his father and also trying desperately to become his father as a way of, I suppose, cementing the relationship that they never had, um, which is interesting. I suppose you either go that way or you go the opposite and you try and become the complete opposite whoever of, of your oppressive father. But I think he, he went towards it in, a, in, a, in an attempt to, to understand the man more um, in, a, in a completely unaware way. Um, you know, you even see him kind of mold. He's kind of using the pipe a lot and things like that. And he kind of holds onto it like a little crutch. And then he kind of molds his facial hair. And oh, coincidentally, he has a mustache. And so did his father. And his father smoked the pipe. And there's all these little things that I think he he doesn't even realise, but they they're a they're a superficial benchmark of success for him is is the appearance of it all and keeping up the appearance of being a great leader when really he is kind of losing his grip 
um, for most of this time. And he's wrestling with the fact that he perhaps has all of the wild ambition and um, self-sabotageness that these guys needed and, and a lot, and they, they all had it. They all had, but ultimately those things aren't what, aren't what is required as a leader for these guys um, in a, in a sort of strange, in a strange way. And I think that he, his relationship with his father is so telling of, you know, how much he wanted to rebel. Of course, there's great stuff in David Sterling's autobiography, which is also, of course, incredibly useful for hearing that person's own opinion of themselves or lack of opinion of themselves, which is also just as telling. Um, but there's great stuff in there with his father. I remember there's one sort of, you know, all, all the stuff that he speaks about of his father in the book is very little, which again is, is more telling than if it was, if it was more. Um, his father wasn't, it wasn't from what I understand, particularly, um, like aggressive any more so than that generation were but I think that he was present but very unpresent he was around a lot but he wasn't and he was always very vacant and I think that that just meant that David was constantly crying out for attention and for acceptance and never ever receiving it and you're bringing up that idea there as well that throughout the series he's really trying to keep a hold and keep a grip on everything but losing it quite often and I've, I've heard you kind of liken it to the idea of when you're trying to pick up a handful of sand and keep it all in your hands and it just keeps slipping through and that's something that we see prevalent in every single episode in different ways and so how did you find your version of what do I think this looks like when for someone where that's such an important element for him he's constantly letting it slip through his fingers in different ways. I think it shows, and it, 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 yeah, it's a great example with the sand, I suppose, because of the setting. Um, it's quite a handsome metaphor. But I think that he, when he loses his grip of being the master of the operation, he um, he, he lashes out and he makes he makes quick thinking, impulsive decisions. I think David Sterling, we know he has he kind of has poor impulse control, whether it's with drinking or whatever, and I think that that ultimately costs a lot of people their lives. Um, and it also on the flip side of it ends up creating this, you know, one of the most effective special forces units the world knows has ever seen. Um, I think when he loses his grip, it, it becomes more about this weird love relationship between him and Paddy. This, um, you know, I think to him, he thought Paddy was sort of a dog that he was wanting to domesticate. But I think Paddy's more of a wolf. That is, you, you cannot put a leash on and expect to do as you want. It's a completely free animal. And I think that he doesn't truly understand that until the end when it's too late. It's also interesting watching the aspect of him that feels like he's searching for a sense of identity. And, and in real life, it, it seems like that was very much the case. You know, he spent time as a cowboy in Colorado or as a painter in France. Um, and did you want, did you kind of view this as, as the space where he really starts to find that sense of self and sense of identity? And, and how did you want that to kind of come forth a little bit more episode by episode as he starts to feel like he has more purpose? 
Um, I suppose, uh, yeah, I think he, he he was an interesting chap in that respect. I think he was he was he was wise beyond his years, and that's probably because for someone of that time he was well travelled, and he was also used to to being in kind of high level um, environments and and to having and to having very intellectual conversations or debates with people that he probably shouldn't have been because of you know the nature of his family or you know that's that's the real reason he got in the room with all of these high level officials and he's very great at speaking to them because he's spoken to them as a child and to him they're just you know it's general this or, or mayor this or whatever a political affiliation person but i think that he 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 probably realized quite early on that there was a deep level of charm that he had and he was able to take enjoyment out of these kind of um rough interactions and, and to and to leverage them for his own advantage um i mean i've definitely not answered your question there that was just kind of a thought that came in um but yeah <laughs> no I, I love those details though and and one of the aspects that i wanted to ask you about in terms of your performance as well is i think there's so much delicacy in playing a character like this that is so brash and so outward and making sure that it still feels like a very connected person um, to the audience in a lot of ways. And so did you and Stephen Knight, who's the creator of the show, and Tom Shanklin, who's the director of the series, have any conversations or discussions or almost experimentation in filming scenes and trying different things and feeling out how far can we push this before it starts to feel unrealistic to the audience? Because even Stephen Knight has said that there's certain things that he had to tailor down a bit that were real facts but just would have felt too large for the show yeah 100 anyone that's read the book will see that there's slight things that are changed and and i mean it's not a documentary by any stretch it's it's definitely an entertaining show which is built upon these great foundations and great stories but again it, it, you wouldn't believe them if they were in the show they had to be kind of toned down um yeah you know i i leaned heavily on tom shankland because he i, I came right off filming something else and coming straight into this and having very little prep time in between and I needed Tom a lot and I needed thankfully the literature that was there with Ben McIntyre's book to be a great kind of bible for us all um, and it was also just something that I referred to constantly we did mix it up and we did try lots of different things you know Tom Shankland is and and Stephen Knight are both Stephen Knight's sort of very um what's the word sort of unattached to his writing as brilliant as it is he's happy for things to be changed and he's constantly changing things and sending in notes and um you know he's very he, he's not sentimental in that regard which is great but, but also you know he does these great big 15 minute long takes these scenes that are just pure bliss as an actor to do because you it's completely uninterrupted and you can really fall into that that character in a, in a really amazing way. Tom Shankland is great for, I mean, there were, there were certain moments where he would let us improvise and do things and that, but there's also a level of sort of his, you know, there, there was a lot of, I remember I would learn these great, these great big long monologues. And then Tom would show up in the morning with a completely rewritten thing and be like, Oh, well, you know, you say you thought you were just, speak about a hundred tanks, but actually you've only got three. So I need you to change this and change this and change this and change this. Um, and he was very patient with me with all of that because, oh boy, was I not getting it right a lot of the time. <laughs> 
I mean, I mean, speaking of, of the long monologues, there, there's a lot of very lengthy scenes for this. And, and I think you've talked a little bit in the, about the show already and saying how, you know, there were kind of these moments of just getting to really live in these these extensive 10 to 15 minute scenes. Did that really help in terms of just having this sense of immersion and, and really living and breathing in the character for those more elongated periods of time in the way that the show was written and filmed? 100%. I mean, it was definitely a I'd never had that experience on anything that I've worked on before. It was it was a first and it was a, a wonderful experience. I mean, all of these kind of scenes that I would do with Jack and it was it was just complete poetry from 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 him and, and just being able to watch that happen and tend to feed off that without any interruptions. Of course, there were moments where there's kind of big action sequences that are a lot more bitty, but those big dialogue scenes, we could just go and go and go and it was so fun. It was, I suppose, the closest you can get to doing theatre on, on on film. I mean, what would I know? But, yeah. And one of the other aspects with this character is we see so early on that he really just doesn't have a fear of death. You know, there's a moment where there's a hole in his parachute. He's massively injured. They don't know if he's going to survive. And immediately he's he's like ready to get up and start running and, and going straight back into all the situations that he was in before. Um, and I love that detail that I think was was his secretary had mentioned in real life about how after he returned that he would cross the road and he would close his eyes because he just needed to have that sense of electricity yeah. and that jolt for himself. Um, and so how did that relationship and that lack of fear with death in a lot of the situations that he's facing throughout the series influence the way that you wanted to play him? And even just that, that kind of need for a certain fire and a certain energy that he clearly had an addiction to. Well, I suppose there's sort of, um, there is a, a journey with his with his association with death. I think in the beginning, there's probably an ignorance. There's an entitlement that someone of his caliber cannot die. And then when he's faced with the with the possibility and the and the and, it, and the, uh, the the fall of it all, he suddenly realizes that he does want to. Of course, he realizes that he possibly might die. But when that comes, he realizes how much he wants to live. Of course, if you're so fortunate, which he was, and I think that gives him a new lease of life, and it makes him quit the kind of hiding that he was doing before behind the bravado. I think it, it, he, he stopped hiding behind bravado at that point and starts running with it um, in a kind of annoying way. I shouldn't say that, but it, it kind of is to watch. Um, but I think that's why people would just got behind him because he, I mean, we've all met people like this, I suppose. It's just how you're built. You know, it's just how you're built. If some sometimes bad stuff happens to people and they react in a completely different way to how I would react. You know, my my reaction to most traumatic or shocking situations would be to shut down and to quieten down. And his is just to go to drive a car at 100 miles an hour straight with his eyes closed, and that gives him some sort of clarity. I mean, it's very different from how I am, but there are people out there like that, and. Yeah. And he also is is then responsible for other people. And, and like you said, there are people that die under his watch in a leadership position. And it feels like that's something that gradually starts to shift him as well. And we do kind of see these little inklings of vulnerability. But then at the same time, he still has to have a certain presentation of confidence in front mm -hmm. of everybody else. And so how did you find that balance of allowing it to affect him a little bit, allowing it to make adjustments in, in his behavior, but also still knowing that he's got this public 
public presentation to a group that he's leading into the middle of this situation? It's a good question. I think, you know, no matter if you're in a leadership position like that, I guess that's the nature of the beast and that's the nature of, of, of war, especially the great war is that a lot of people were tragically dying and, and there was always someone at the top of that. I think that he, it's all fun and games to him until it's not and until he's not winning anymore. And I think obviously, you know, there's that parachute drop that goes so tragically wrong. And I think that is a big wake up call for him that it's not just a game. It's not just, um, it's almost like he's doing the whole thing to, to spite his father, who's not even here. Like his dad's not even here and he's still cutting off his nose to spite his own face. And then eventually people die and he goes, my God, this is, you know, we're into it now. Now I have to, I have to become one of these amazing heroes that I've read about, like Napoleon with this kind of insufferable level of ambition. I need, my ambition needs to be suffering. Um, or, you know, Alexander the Great, you know, he's read all of the stuff of these guys and he, 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 he writes and he, he acts as if he is himself a work of fiction, as Dudley Clark says in episode two. Um, he, he's writing his own, bio, his own a biography, as Paddy Main says. And Paddy Main says something like that. And it, it, it's so true. He kind of, he, he truly believes himself to be the hero. I think at first he believes himself to be the fool and he, he becomes the hero. Interesting. You know, you were talking as well about how part of how he leads is because he's got this charm, but he's also got a great wit about him. You know, even yeah. and there's a really good sense of of comedy and humor in the writing and in the delivery as well. And even, you know, when he's interviewing people to be part of his regiment and he's asking someone, oh, you know, have you ever been disciplined for getting into fights? And the guy who's been living in a place of discipline and regiment is very proudly saying no. And he's, his response is, well, why not? Um, and did you find that the, the writing very naturally gave you that idea and that sense of what his comedic approach and sensibility was going to be as a character for you? Uh, yeah, good question. I think so. I think it was, it was all on the page. Um, and I never, I mean, actually, during those scenes, Tom Shanklin gave me the privilege of, of messing around with the guys a little bit. And there's a few in there, which, you know, which made the cut of just kind of farting around. And I think that, you know, the, the writing did just completely influence the comedy that comes out within him he he's very cheeky and he's um he he uses all of that and that's all part of his his charm and getting people on side is 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 doing it with a wink and a smile yeah and am i right in that this is this is the first character that you've played that is purely based on a real person as well yeah, yeah. um yeah but it's it's an interesting way to come into that that space as an actor as well because it's not someone that audiences have a predisposition of knowing, oh, that's how they talk, that's how they move, that's what they were like as the person. You know, obviously there's writing about him and there's certain elements that that people have read and had impressions of. Um, but did that give you a, a kind of like a responsibility, but also a freedom in really trying to get a lot of the details right, but at the same time creating a character who's an essence rather than trying to create a direct replica of someone? Hundred percent. I mean, there is footage of David Sterling out there, but I did my utmost to to avoid it. I think if I was to do an impression of anyone, it's going to be the most terrible thing I've ever seen. There is no bone in my body that has a talent for that. The only thing I can do, or the only thing I'm really supposed to do, is as you say, bring the essence of the character. And I think 
that was the thing that I enjoyed the most was being able to have that freedom, like you say, and to, and to feel the pressure that this is a real person who did an amazing thing and is well regarded in the history books and within people's minds, of course, as time went by, things got a little bit more jagged um, as, as these things always are, but you know, there, there was a healthy level of pressure for all of us. Um, but then also this crazy uh, chasm of freedom as well. And in, in filming the show, you were mentioning earlier that obviously you were coming straight from another project. So there wasn't as much time as, as maybe you would have immersed yourself into the preparation, but there still was a lot of research that went into it. Um, I believe you also talked to SAS agents, you know, reading the book and reading all the materials. And so knowing that you had a finite amount of time to prepare for this role, both in terms of character development and even just the physical side of what this role required from you as well. How did you kind of narrow down if I have this amount of time, what are the important aspects and the important tools at my disposal that I really want to make sure I have the time to dive into? Yeah, I suppose the, the main thing was the voice, getting the voice right. The physicality of someone who has kind of lived their life in a place of privilege, very different to me. Um, so it was kind of the movement and the voice. And when you ground those things, then the rest is kind of easy. Um, I didn't have a lot of time to prepare, uh, so I did my best reading David Sterling's autobiography, reading SAS Heroes. There was another book called The Phantom Major, which was also very informative. I forget the name of the author who wrote that. Um, but, you know, I was lucky that I had the time to read those things. And to be honest, I'm an actor who comes often from a place of, impu of impulse. Um, so it, having too much time almost would be a hindrance for me, for me, not for everyone. Um, so just getting in there and getting stuck in and being instinctual is normally where I, I, um, do my best stuff and for better or worse, I was given that opportunity on this. So if I think I've, if I, I think if I had more time, 12 weeks of prep, I would have just driven myself crazy. Um, so it was good that I came straight off the back of, back of something else and straight into it. I mean, I also kind of love love the idea of of coming into a character and and working in such a way that it is about impulse and instinct. And obviously, you know, his actions and behaviors are in a very different way. But playing someone who very much leads by impulse and instinct, did that also actually really help you to just dive into situations and to dive into scenes and really just feel the impulse of the character as well? One hundred percent. I think. Um... When I first kind of read this character, I was apprehensive because I thought it was going to be such a step outside of myself. And it was. But the longer I was in his shoes, the more I realized that they were actually kind of comfy and um, that they weren't so different from the shoes that I wear, perhaps just with a little bit more arrogance <laughs> and a few other things. Um, and within that, I suppose, instinct just took over for the most part. As again, once I had the voice and the movement down, I relied heavily on Tom Shanklin and Stephen Knight's writing. When I was given the freedom to operate independently, then I was very fortunate to be able to do so. Amazing. And and within the fact as well that he is this very boisterous character, he's actually also coming across very much as someone who is very guarded and has a lot of walls up and, and finds it quite difficult to trust other people or let other people be close to him. Um, you know, but there's a necessity for him in the things that he's going through in the show to have to do that at certain moments and certain times. And so how did you view the dynamic that he had with other people where it's very guarded and kind of nobody's able to get close to him at the beginning, but then finding those little moments of, okay, this, the wall's going to come down a little bit here because it's got to from what he's gone through. 
I think to him it was exciting. It was always daring those moments. They 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 enticed him, and he found them. In, he found them endearing. Um, you know, it, he, he again. You know, if we if we think about the relationship with Eve, he found it all exciting from the beginning. As much as he tried to show show otherwise or make her think otherwise, it was always exciting to him. And with Paddy Maine, you know, it, it, again, he found him incredibly charming and exciting. And I think it was the idea of it going uh, completely wrong, belly up, was just as exciting as it going smoothly and and with plain sailing it was always exciting and wherever there was an opportunity to have a jolly or a bit of fun he took he took it he couldn't help himself he was in, he was too impulsive he couldn't resist it um so i think that's when the kind of the drawbridge was was loosened some it was when he was excited and the shoot overall itself sounds like it was incredibly challenging because you were shooting on location in the desert in morocco in you know, 50 degree centigrade heat, um, you know, with doctors literally coming and making sure that nobody had heat stroke constantly throughout the day. Um, and was there kind of an immersion into the character that that really brought? Because I think it was like Jack O'Connell pointed out to, to all of you, like, well, if we were in Pine Studios, we'd be complaining that it wasn't real enough, even though it was really difficult. Um, and I that I feel like you mentioned as well that, that because of that and because of the sand and the wind, that there were even moments where you couldn't see the camera. But was there a certain freedom that came with just letting go of everything, kind of being in that situation yourself as well, of just like, it's so hot, you know, whatever, and really channeling that into the character there were definitely moments of it being so hot I mean 90% of that job was where it was just so hot and the conditions were so crazy that all you wanted to do was run on in front of the camera when they called action do your bit and then get straight back in the shade and that brought about a complete again an an instinctive nature to the character and I think it you know rather than it giving you allowing you to kind of do whatever ritual it is of doing press-ups and listening to Joni Mitchell or whatever it is that gets you into the character you just had to become that guy in that moment and the elements really brought that out within us and it kind of I suppose it connected us even more so to the characters because we were kind of living within the same situations that they were we were all dealing with dysentery we were all dealing with heat stroke we were all dealing with the one doctor who was making the rounds around everyone's trailer every day. God bless him. And I think that, um, again, it, it did become exciting after a while. We, you never knew what you were turning up to. And I think that's what these guys, that's how these guys also live their day to day, granted in much dire circumstances. But still, I think we learn to be a kind of stoic around all of it and to just and to just get on and stop complaining, get out in front of the camera and then get back in the shade. I mean, it's it's such a brilliant character and I love the way that you've taken a character who's so boisterous and, and still made him feel very human and very connected throughout the show. Um, so congratulations on everything with the series and thank you so much for talking about this. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you.